Welcome, everyone, to the Robin Walter Show. You're not hearing any uh, music at the beginning, are you? No, because we don't have any. We don't have any music at the end today. Uh, we don't have any. We have nothing in the middle today. We don't have anything. But in this program, you're going to get a bombshell. I. This is the third or the fourth time we have attempted to record this program, and we are having difficulties the likes of which I've never had in 16 years of broadcasting. I don't know if I have messed up the equipment. My uh, helper can't figure it out. Maybe the enemy is against this message so badly that I've got to do it so many times, I guess, to get it right and eliminate all the talking and the music to fit it all in. I just trust that this is going to work. <laughs> and so, um, bear with me. I don't know. I honestly don't know what to do. I am so kind of helpless here that we're just going to do kind of what we call a naked program. We skip all the music and everything, and we're just going to record. We're going to fill up the time that we're allotted to have on the air, and then that will be it. But... I don't have a ton of articles today. I don't have a bunch of things to cover. I've got one topic I want to cover and one topic only, and that is, can America be saved? Can America be saved? And I want to start in this uh, process by, first of all, stating that some are going to say, well, you know what, uh, the, the stuff you're going to quote here, the stuff I, I have quoted, Rob, you're your Old Testament, no, come on, no. The Old Testament was simply written before the New Testament. Yeah, there are a few things that don't apply anymore. The ordinances are nailed to the cross and certain customs and things, but all of the things that deal with how a society is to run, how a government is to morally function, all of those things are contained in the Old Testament, not the New Testament. They serve different functions. But the question I have here is, can America be saved? I want to start out with this question, answering my own question. Would God treat the United States more favorably than he would treat Israel? Would God treat the United States more favorably than he would treat Israel? And there are many that would say, well, the United States has replaced Israel. That's replacement theology. Well, the only thing about replacement theology is that it needs to be replaced. It has no place in Scripture. So a lot of the Reformed churches are into re replacement theology. They're screwed up. They're gone. That is not correct. At least they're not correct on that topic. The whatever. I can't even tell you how many passages there are in Scripture, probably pushing 100, whereby God makes it clear that he's not done with Israel. And in the end, all of Israel will be saved. So how is Israel replaced by the church? Well, that's nonsense. So would God treat U.S. more favorably than Israel? If Israel's the apple of his eye, how do we get better treatment than they do? I don't think so. Well, here's why some people think so, though. They think that we will be treated more favorably for our sins as a nation then Israel was treated for its sins because they were confined to the Old Testament and the Old Testament teachings, and now we have the New Testament. We have the age of grace. We have the age of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and revelation, knowledge, and all of those things. So I have to ask yet another question. 
if in fact to whom much is given much is required which we know that to be true who's been given the most those functioning exclusively under the old testament or those who have access to the old testament employ it and we live in the age of grace under the new testament much more has been given to us folks much much more and to the extent that we've been given this so much more wouldn't we be held more accountable to whom much is given much is required to whom much is to whom more is given would more be required to whom less is given less is required the fact of the matter is i think my sense from scripture and we're going to go through this today is that the united states is held to a far higher standard than the nation of israel and if we are more accountable to god because of the living in the age of grace then that means those things for which God punished Israel for, working with less knowledge and less favor, we with more knowledge, grace, and more access to Scripture, if you will, both Old and New Testament, how would we not be held to a higher standard, a greater judgment, because we've been given more? So that whole deal about uh, Old Testament... uh, you know, that doesn't apply to the U.S. People think that it's a sloppy grace thing, that grace just covers every possible sin in the world, regardless of whether it has been repented of. Regardless of repentance. And that could not be more wrong. Now look, Israel had the perfect law, did they not? They had the Ten Commandments. We actually had the Ten Commandments in this country for a lot of years. Much of the Ten Commandments were written right into our laws. They were codified in state laws to a limited extent the U.S. Constitution because we considered the Word of God authoritative. Even if people weren't Christian per se, they were deists or something. Ben Franklin, but he's still quoting the Bible because he considered the Bible authoritative. So Israel had the perfect law, and yet Israel ended up falling into sin and pursuing sin, and celebrating sin worse than the heathen and pagan nations that God threw out to make room for them in Canaan. They were given more, and they pursued evil more than those that surrounded them. But they had the perfect law. And so some people say, well, let's have a convention of the states here, and we need to rewrite the Constitution. No. No, we don't. The Constitution wasn't flawless, but it was really good. And it's been made better and better by various amendments over time. Is it perfect? No. The perfect law is the Word of God. It would be the Ten Commandments as the foundation. But it doesn't matter what the law says if bad people are in charge. If the wicked rule, if the the wicked are in authority, it says the city mourns. If the righteous are in authority, the nation, the people rejoice. Even the wicked people that are living under a righteous regime don't even know why things are going well. They can't connect their prosperity and their good life to the fact that there are other people that are enforcing laws to restrict the crimes and then blessing those things that are of God to expand. They may be all against all of that, but they enjoy the blessings of it, but they don't know why. But let a, let a city, let a nation be have the wicked rule, says the people, mourn. 
and they don't connect their mourning, their debt, their crime, their disease, they don't connect it to sin. They don't do that. So we have to understand that the perfect law is it w- was held by Israel loosely and then cast aside. It didn't save them. And if you can't get those who are in charge to enforce the law, then you're, you're toast. People will say to me, well, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Why doesn't somebody do th- something about the FBI or, or Biden? What's what we've got elections for? See, the people that are in charge to enforce the law don't enforce the law. They subvert the law and pervert the law, and then they use the law to beat up their political enemies. And who's, and who's to hold them account other than God and other than the people who half the time will vote the same losers back in? See, Nancy Pelosi isn't the problem. It's the people who vote her in. Chuck E. Cheese humor is not the problem. It's the people who vote him in. Joe Biden isn't the problem. He's, he's the people, is there anybody, people dumber than Joe Biden? Yeah, everybody that voted for him. Those are the ones, and if, you, if they don't change, then the government doesn't change. And we have the government we deserve, as Madison or Adams said. So we cannot go out there and suspect or expect that we can change the law and hold people to it when the perfect law was there and the government that arose in Israel was worse than any government in the history of the United St- history of the world until today. Until today. This is going to be a stock a shocker. So God says and God judges harshly. He says judgment begins at the house of God. So if judgment begins at the house of God, then that means it starts with those nations, those people, those cities, those whatever, that have been uniquely blessed of God, anointed of God, and then turn their back on them, become Christophobic, bibliophobic, give God the middle finger, and and absolutely take in a concerted, aggressive manner every possible effort to overthrow God's sovereignty, which is useless, but to come against every good thing, calling evil good and good evil. So, if to whom much is given, much is required, and judgment begins at the house of God, how do we escape the fact that there's no nation other than Israel that's been as a blessed, anointed, and ordained, and established upon biblical principles as the United States? We are, at a large scale, Bethel, the house of God, because that's what upon what we were established. We have been given so much. So much is required, and we have trashed it. We've thrown it away. We've despised it. We have destroyed it. And for those of you who might think, well, uh, I still think that the grace is going to cover things. Well, no. I'm, I won't, we're going to prove otherwise here. And if you get out your pencil, paper, what have you, you're going to write down some passages today that are very illustrative. And we're going to start with the New Testament. Shocking? No. Acts 17.30. Acts 17.30 makes this statement, which will, in fact, make the point that I've been making. Well, God made the point, and I'm just the messenger. So in Acts 17.30, well, actually starting in 29, it says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now, now, 
We're in the New Testament here. But now commands, commands all men, all, everywhere, everywhere to repent. You see, God had sort of a, it seems like sort of a casual dealing with those nations that never heard the word of God. They were just doing what they were doing. I know in Romans 1 it says that, you know, they're without excuse, and they are, because we can look at the sky and the heavens and all that God created and know that there's a God. And there's something written into the system that deals with a basic sense of morality. But they weren't governed by the statutes of God precisely as we have from Scripture. And so was it easy for them to go into graven images? Yeah, they had... they. Why did God not hold them very accountable? Because there was not very much given to them. To whom nothing is given, nothing is required, sort of. To whom much is given, much is required. Well, if little was given to them, God does, doesn't demand much of those former societies. hard to imagine there's any place on the earth today that hasn't heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they are... They are not accountable at the same level. That's why it says God kind of winked at them, kind of overlooks them, because they weren't given much, not much is required. We have been given the Old Testament. We've been given the oracles. We know the history of Israel. We've been given the New Testament. We've been given the greatest country on earth, founded upon the biblical principles, rooted and grounded in the Word of God, which we have trashed. And so what plies in this passage I just read? Well, the times of this ignorance God winked at, that doesn't apply. We're not living way, way, way back in time. No. Where we're living is now every man everywhere is commanded to repent. Every man everywhere is commanded to repent. You can talk grace all you want, but this is what the Word says. Where? But that's why you have to repent, to receive the grace. No repentance, no grace. Don't think that there's grace without repentance. He's made it very clear. Jesus' first words. We'll start with John the Baptist. First words in his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' first words in ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It all starts with repentance. And if we repent, God will relent. If we don't repent, he doesn't relent. But we're commanded to do that. We are different. We are held to a higher standard. No nation has been more blessed than we are. So can America be saved? Well, maybe and maybe not. Maybe and maybe not. I don't think that, that it's in the cards that we will or that we won't. But things are going to have to happen. Certain things will have to happen. So I want to start today with 1 Kings 8.32. 1 Kings 8.32. And so if you turn to your Bible, got that paper out, you're going to want to write these down. So in 1 Kings 8.32, it says as follows. Well, where is my, where First 1 Kings go? 8.32. It says, oh, it says, and this is a prayer. For hear thou in heaven, and do and judge thy servants, condemning the wicked, that's the prayer, condemn the wicked, to bring his way upon his head, and justifying the righteous to give him according to his righteousness. When the people, Israel, be smitten down before the enemy because they have sinned against thee, and shall turn again to thee, and confess thy name, and pray, and make supplication unto thee in this house, 
Then hear thou in heaven, and forgive the sin of thy people Israel, and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest unto their fathers. When heaven is shut up, and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee, if they pray toward this place, and confess thy name, and turn from their sin which thou afflictest them, then hear thou in heaven, and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk, and give rain then upon the land. For if there be in the land famine, pestilence, blasting, mildew, locust, or if there be caterpillar, if there is enemy besieging them in the land, other cities, or whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all thy people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart, and spread forth his hands toward this house. So, two things here. First of all, I would just kind of point out as an aside, all the things that happen here, famine, pestilence, blasting, mildew, locust, caterpillars eating stuff up, enemies attacking us, cities besieged with plague, whatever sicknesses there are. God lists all the consequences of sin. Folks, it's not global warming. That global warming is so much crapola, I can hardly stand it. It's just a way to try to control us and by putting us in fear. What a pack of suckers most people are, including, frankly, a whole lot of Christians. So forget that. But that's not the main point. I mean, forget that there's any global warming involved here. That's not it. It's not climate change, whatever. But he does say, What prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all thy people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart, and spread forth his hands toward this house, then here in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive, and give every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. So you see, God has made provision here, the plague of the heart of an individual, he talks about, and the plague of the nation. He separated him, whether it's a plague in your heart, and and that and you know your plague, and you confess your sin, that plague is gone. And you can walk anew. But he also addresses it to the nation, to all my people Israel. It's to the nation. That if the nation does that, the nation likewise would be delivered. Now, here's a shocker for you. I am t- I take a position really quite different than almost all evangelicals as to the interpretation of Second Chronicles 7.14. And I'll show you why. Now keep this passage in mind. With it, we just read about the, the plague of a man's heart or the plague of a nation's heart. And we're going to build on this today as we get to answering our question, can America be saved? We often quote Second Chronicles 7.14, but we never ever seem to quote Second Chronicles 13 which says, If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, quote, then, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So verse 13 identifies exactly the situation we just read from first kings about the pestilence about the famine he shuts it up he devours the land because of their sin and he goes on to say if my people which are called by my name 
we have interpreted this, in my opinion, wrongly. We have said that if if uh, two people or two or three people in Nebraska confess the sin of this nation, the nation's land will be healed. Well, first of all, the scripture doesn't identify whose land we're talking about, other than the land of those whose land has been afflicted and judged in verse 13. So if the land doesn't turn from its wicked way, let's say the three farmers in Nebraska, they confess their sin, the plague of their heart is gone, they're interceding, but nothing changes outside of that area of Nebraska. I will tell you, that area of Nebraska will re- receive the blessing of Second Chronicles 7.14. But not the rest of the nation. So I'll, I'll, we'll heal, heal, heal our land. Well, first of all, land isn't defined. Is land your land? Is it your yard? Is it your 40? Is it your back 40? Which if you confess the Lord, now you get rain and you get crops and all the other people who still serve Baal, so to speak. They have drought. Yeah, that's what it does mean. If the whole city repents, yes. If the whole county repents, yes. If the whole state repents, yes. If the whole nation repents, yes. But if the nation repent doesn't repent, then no is to the nation. If the state doesn't repent, no is to the state, no is to the county, no is to the municipality, no is to your block, and maybe it just comes right back down to you. You see, what God pointed out in 1 Kings is that this whole idea of having the plague released and you being healed of the afflictions that come from sin are both individual and corporate. For the individual who repents, that individual, God relents. For the nation that repents, God relents. If God, if the nation doesn't repent, God doesn't relent. I mean, think about it. Why do the, what, what would guarantee, why would the nation be, receive God's favor with three praying in Nebraska when the rest of the nation continues to slaughter children, worship idols, basically, queer this, queer that, sodomy here, mutilating young children, tranny this, when they are so stuck on perverting and subverting the gospel in all the other places, what would the intercession of the three in Nebraska have to do when the nation doesn't relent? See, First Kings makes it very clear, and I'm going to make it clearer yet as we get further into this. It is by nation, by person, by county, what have you, that's the land that's healed. God's not going to heal California's land because three people are are uh, interceding in Nebraska. Here's what the intercession does. The intercession opens up the ways and the path to repentance. But if the repentance doesn't happen, nothing changes. In other words, God's behavior doesn't change unless the people's behavior changes. They need to repent. And if they don't repent, then the same judge, the judgment's going to fall on them. It's just that those who have and have turned from their wicked way, their land is healed. Not everybody's land. There's no place in Scripture that is such a distortion of this passage. It really bothers me. It just does. So, with that, I want to go back uh, to Leviticus now. Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26, and starting with verse 40. 
it says that if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their trespass, which they trespass against me, and that also they have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them, and I have brought them into a land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled. So, okay. They, they're talking to whoever, whoever receives it. If their heart's humbled, they're blessed. Doesn't mean a nation. Could mean more than one. Could be an individual. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled. In other words, their uncircumcised hearts now are circumcised. The plague is relieved. And get your book out, your Bible out, and circle the word and, one of the biggest conjunctions in all of Scripture. And they then accept the punishment of their iniquity. You see, while someone who doesn't know of God at all, like the ones we were talking about where God's winking at them, they don't know God, they've never known God, and they turn to God like Nineveh. There is no indication Nineveh ever knew God at all that we can tell. They were just in gross sin. That's what they did. And they repented, and God blessed them. There was no penalty. There was no spanking. But for the nation that knows better and refutes and disputes and gives God the finger like we are, that's not how it plays out. If the nation repents, will God relent? Yes, he will restore that nation, but not without a punishment. They have to be accepting of something. Let's... Okay, so the guy commits murder. He's now in the Huskow. He's up the river, the joint, the big house. But he gets saved, gloriously saved, in prison. Does he now get out of prison? Is he all done? Is it Ali Ali Oxen and Free? Has he got to get out of jail free card? Of course not. No, maybe in time that God blesses him and gets him released, or maybe he's there and he has a prison ministry. But somebody who knew better then does wrong, there's going to be a punishment of some sort accompanied with that. It's just part of the deal. Now, there's some who will say, well, I'll repent. Well, repent, repent. Hey, wait a minute. Why are we getting punished here? Why is this still going on? This isn't true. God's a liar. I don't believe that. Well, they probably never really repented to begin with. But they don't understand that for those who knew better, then there is a punishment that accompanies it. Consider, for example, this is a good example, I think. So you got this son. He's eight years old. You have told him five times not to do something. He knows he's not supposed to do this particular thing. And he goes ahead and does it. And you go to the woodshed. You get out a big board, and it's going to be where stick meets derriere. He sees it, and now he falls on his face with crocodile tears. Did you just let him off? No. Yeah, he's maybe he's repented, but there's a certain punishment that needs to accompany the willful disobedient behavior. Contrast that with a son who in fact has done something wrong, but he's never been told. His parents never told he didn't hear it in school, Sunday school, what have you, didn't parents he just he did something wrong. Does it, do you haul out the yardstick or the, the, the piece of wood from the woodshed and, and let them have it? No, you, you instruct that child 
and you determine that well, that child's truly repentant. And then you that child's forgiven, he's blessed, he may go on his way. The next time he won't be treated the same way, because now he knows. But you see, he wasn't given much. Actually, he was given nothing. He had no knowledge. So the accountability is at a different level than the son who had been told five times not to do something. Now there must be a punishment that accompanies the repentance. Of some kind, that's up to God. I don't know what it is. But understand that even if we end up at repenting as a country, which we will show here in a little bit, why there will be, based biblically, why there will be a punishment of some sort that we will, at least for a generation and hopefully two, not forget the error of our ways. We're going to point that out in a little bit. But next, I want to jump to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. And the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, and he shall not die. All his transgressions that he has committed shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all in the death of the wicked? But when the righteous turn away from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he has sinned. In them shall he die. Yet you say, well, the way of the Lord's not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? So what God is saying here is, there are people, and this describes, and this is why I'm bringing this passage up, many in this country, Christians, who will say and believe that because of our roots, because of our beginning, of our origins, because of all the good that we've done, because of all the missionaries that shipped out of this country over the last couple of centuries, because of all the wars that we won liberating oppressed people, that we get a cut, we get a pass. We won't be held accountable because of what we've done. What God has made clear here is that when there is a soul that sins and they repent, his sin is not remembered in the sea of forgetfulness, as they say. But when the, when the individual or the nation that has, in fact, pursued God and has done those good things turns and turns severely, and seriously and deeply towards the dark side, embracing every evil known to man. Uh, well, we we don't have legalized incest and bestiality yet, but that's coming. When that nation does that, God doesn't remember the righteousness. I, I'm not going to say it's sort of what have you done for me lately kind of a God, but the fact of the matter is it's what we're doing now that dictates our future, not what happened in the past when our present contradicts our past. We have no basis to claim that we are going to get an easy way, an easy ticket out of the mess that we're in because of what we have done in the past. The fact of the matter is neither you nor I nor anyone in our generation, going down one or two even, 
had anything or much to do with the goodness for by which this country was established. We weren't alive then. We're part of the generation that's all it's done is sin and ignore God and give him the finger. We're part of the nation that is called evil good and good evil. That's, the, that's our generation. So why would we benefit from the goodness of the past and, and revel in the sins of the present and think that we are going to be free from any consequence? No, we're not deserving of it. As Madison or Adams said, I can never remember which, you get the government you deserve. We're getting what we deserve. Pastors haven't preached crap. What they, or they preach crap. Maybe that's the problem. They haven't preached what they should be preaching in a lot of churches for a long time. The churches are part of the problem. Israel didn't get judged just by the people. They got judged when the priests and the prophets went south. When they started to pursue evil, then it was over. Judgment was very, very certain. So we're going to go from Ezekiel 18 to Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18, and we're going to cover verses 7 through 10. And this is going to support, which you may still be disagreeing with me, because Second Chronicles 7.14 is what, what? What we want to believe, that, uh, that if just the children of God repent, that everybody else is saved and the nation is fine. No, the, the land of the people who repent is saved. If I got 100 acres and I'm living right before God, I can expect a crop. Okay, this will make the point further. God speaking, Jeremiah 18, 7. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced, turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And of what instant, well, let me just stop there a second. So what's the emphasis here? At what instant shall I speak concerning a nation or a kingdom to pluck it up? And we're to pull it down, to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turns from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Who's them? That nation. Who's repenting? That nation. Not just the people, the few people, not even just the Christians. The nation hasn't repented. Now, I don't know whether it takes 99% or takes 51%, but I will tell you this. There needs to be enough repentance that the repentance is reflected in the culture, the customs, and the laws of the land to uphold God's word. If it doesn't, then the nation has not repented. If, if, if many people don't like what the Christians are doing, but yet they're enjoying God's blessing, well, that's, that's the way that it is. But if there's nothing changing, then why should God change? You see, the intercession is to open up the pathway to revival and repentance but if the revival doesn't happen, if the repentance doesn't happen at the national level, then the intercession is all for naught. It's all for naught. They, the people interceding will be saved. It's good for them. 
but it may not have an impact on others. And in fact, there are multiple passages in the book of Jeremiah where the people have sinned so long, so hard, so intensely that what does God say? Knock it off. Don't pray. Don't you dare intercede for this nation because I'm not going to hear you. I'm long-suffering, but I've suffered long enough. My spirit will not always strive with people so intent and bent on pursuing evil. I am going to perform my judgment. Maybe after the judgment they repent, but I'm not going to withhold the judgment because they're not repenting. So at what instant shall I speak concerning a nation, a kingdom, to pluck it up, pull it down, destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from that evil, I will repent of it. And here's the part I hadn't shared yet. And of what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build it, to plan it, to lift it up. If it do evil in my sight, that it obeys not my voice, then I will repent of the good that I said by which I would benefit them. You see, this is the other reason that we can't rest on our laurels and say, God, look at all what we did. Well, you and I didn't do diddly. Yeah, well, you know, I served in the service, but my, my service was not anything to write home about. It's just a tour of duty. We haven't done much in our generations. The generations which created the gen- greatest generation on earth are before us. We can't take credit for them. And if we do evil in the sight, then what, even though God set up this nation, ordained it, implanted it with Christians, so many miracles dealing with what this nation is and what it has done and the good it has done throughout the world, to build it up, if it does evil, they're out. Obey my voice. I'm, not, I'm going to repent of the good. No more good for that nation. Wood meets derriere at the national level. So what have we covered here so far? Well, so repentance is the key, but the repentance doesn't provide the relenting of God beyond the sphere of repentance. My land refers to those people's lands who are repenting. And yes, it could extend to a city if even though there's people who be carrying on sinful behavior, the fact is the city or the county or the state has repented at a level that is reflected by the customs, the culture, and the statutes by which they are governed. Otherwise, if it doesn't, that means they have still chosen to be governed by the laws of the devil. All right. And those who have not known anything repent. They seem to be let off the hook. There's no punishment accompanying it because they were given nothing. There were the, Not much was required. But to whom much is required, much has been given, much is required, we have seen now, as far as we've come in this teaching, that there is a spanking. There is a punishment after their heart is humbled. There, uh, or maybe it's part of it. I don't know exactly. But it is part of the deal, and it has to be accepting of it. The guy's in prison. Yeah, I killed a guy. Yeah, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, but I, I did this, and there's a, there's a punishment for this. Now, boy, we're going to turn back to 2 Kings 21. 2 Kings 21. And uh, we're going to go to chapter. Oh, I've started 2 Kings 21. I guess that is the chapter. Duh. Uh, I just lost my place here myself. So 2 Kings 21, we're going to start with verse 12. 
I hope you're writing these down because I got to tell you, even though I don't have any music, no solicitation, there's no humor, there's nothing but just hardcore truth in this message. I pray that you take this message and send it to every person you know. I truly think this is the most important message I've given in 16 years, which is probably why the devil, I think, has been messing with everything electronically and technologically to get this message out. So, 2 Kings 21, starting with verse 9. But they, the people of Israel, hearkened not, and Manasseh, the king, and Manasseh was the worst king Israel ever had, or Judah ever had, seduced them, the people, to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. Israel did worse than the heathens that surrounded them and that God threw out to make room for, for Israel. The Lord spake by the servants of prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, had done these abominations and has done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and has made Judah also to sin. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. Now, hang on to your seat. Verse 16, Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another because his sin wherewith he made Judah to sin and doing that which was evil in the sight of God. Now, just to underscore that, if you go over to chapter 24, chapter 24, The Lord brings in the Chaldeans, the Syrians, the Moabites to judge Israel. And other than the plagues, pestilence, famine, those kinds of God-ordained judgments, where people are used in the judgment, they're always foreigners. Always foreigners. Who attacked us on 9-11? Foreigners. Who attacks Israel here? The Chaldees. Chaldees, the Syrians, the Moabites, the Ammonites, Amorites. They're all foreigners. Who are they today? The millions coming across their southern border, which aren't just Ecuadorians and Salvadorians and Guatemalans. They're from Iran. They're from Lebanon. We're going to have cities blowing up. We're going to have terrorist attacks that will strike the heart of fear into us. And I don't think Biden gives a rat's rear end. Why? Because the more fearful the people are, the more power we will give to the federal government to deal with it, which is their end game. The devil has always lusted for power. The Democrats in office are demon-possessed as far as I'm concerned. They're simply minions and tools of the devil. I want control. Read Isaiah 14, I, 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 all the things that Satan wants. It all deals with control and power. The temptation in the wilderness was about control and power. That's what they want. And everybody coming in, not everybody, but a lot of people coming in from our loose, open, non-existent southern border and now our northern border are basically coming to destroy us. No question about it. But it goes on to say, Surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah. So this is God ordering the foreigners to remove them out of his sight. And why? For or because of the sins of Manasseh, 
all that he did and for the innocent blood that he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which, you ready? The Lord would not pardon. The Lord would not pardon. So, Manasseh killed thousands of young children, or, or the people did. How many have we killed in the womb and on the birthing stools? North of 60 million? And you see, the death of children with Manasseh was limited to the children, as awful as it was, and we're going to see the consequence of that level of sin. But we make Manasseh look like a choir boy, both in quantity and the nature of the sin. Quantity, because he killed his thousands, we have killed tens of millions. What more? Not only do we not kill them, we try to get other nations to do it. The president of Guatemala, Guatemala is saying, U.S., would you quit trying to push your queer stuff on us and homosexual marriage and sodomy and quit trying to get us to do abortions like Obama did when he went to Kenya, try to get Kenya to, to, to uh, accept abortion. Not only do we push it in our country, but we export it. We are the worst nation in the, in the world. I don't mean, look, I don't think anything of Islam, but they don't, they're not aborting people. They're not letting queers run around sodomizing each other and having queer marriage. No, they got a sense of morality that beats ours, and we know better and should have known better. Where was I? Don't even remember where I was in this thing. Hang on a minute. Let me grab my notes here. Uh, yes, here we are. Second Chronicles 33, 2 Chronicles 33, verses 9 through 11. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to sin or to err and to do worse than the heathen, whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Therefore, Okay, God speaks to the U.S. by prophetic words. Pastors who've got the guts to speak what needs to be spoken. And the people don't listen. The nation doesn't listen. There is not a call to righteousness rooted in repentance. If I ran for political office and dug on it, maybe I just need to. That's going to be my, that's going to be my campaign plan for it. If you want to see this country get better, this city better, this state better, then repent. It's pretty doggone clear. I don't care if they throw me out, throw tomatoes at me. I love tomatoes. I'll eat them. Well, he said, So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to sin and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not listen. Wherefore, or therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria to take him away to Babylon. The foreigners come in to mete out the justice and the judgment due upon Israel. God bless America. That's all we said in 9-11. But did America bless God? Who destroyed us in those days? All foreigners. All foreigners. Even talks about them in the Old Testament. Talks about a nation should come to judge you, whose whose tongue you do not understand, and who cares not for the young or the old, the infant or the, the gray-haired. 
They didn't care who they killed. No, they were just killers with a foreign tongue. And we didn't get it, and we don't get it now. America has descended further and faster into sin in the 22 years since 9-11 than all 200 years preceding it. Our descent has been faster than it was through the 60s with the Madeline Marie O'Hare cases, getting prayer out of school, Bible reading out of school, and then we get to you know, domestic partnerships, queer marriage, abortion, <clears throat> all of that stuff that came one by one, and it's collectively why where we are. That, But since 9-11, our descent has been into demonic madness as a country. And who has sinned more than Manasseh? The United States of America. We have We are calling good, healthy, natural, and normal. Things that not even somebody as wicked as Manasseh, the worst king in all of Israel, he didn't do it. It's like, we'll see you, Manasseh, and raise you two or three. We're going to start giving kids puberty blockers. We're going to start giving young girls mastectomies. We're going to start genital mutilation. We'll confuse them. We will turn them into twice the child of children of hell that we are because we've turned over, basically, the reins of most government to the gay Gestapo who are desperately trying to feel better about their sin. So what do they do? They go find somebody who they can get to sin more and worse than just their queerdom and their fisting and their sodomy. Yeah, that's what it is. What did Jesus say? When he returns, it would be as, as in the days of Lot, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Giving in marriage. Well, I wonder what kind of marriages those were. Yeah, that's the time we are living in. That's why we are getting judged, are going to be judged, and I am thrilled about it. And why? Because until we get judged, I am not convinced there's going to be repentance. I mean, you get out there, you preach, and you preach. But you know what? Ezekiel did it. Ezekiel preached, and God said, you call them back to repentance. Call them back. And then God says, but they're not going to listen to you, Zeke. Actually, actually, they're going to make fun of you, to tell you the truth. They're going to make fun of you. But you go do it, because until you do it, then I can't hold them accountable. That's why I and a gazillion other preachers need to preach repentance or and the consequences of no repentance. And if it's not accepted, then we just get the results. We will be we'll suffer being part of that whole thing. But I'll call back to Second Chronicles seven fourteen that my land is going to produce crops. My land and my kids' land, the ones who are saved, and uh, uh, will be productive. Now, <clears throat> this is why there is no repent. There's no changing of this country without repentance, and there's no repentance, frankly, based on our history, without an accompanying punishment. God is truly long-suffering. But there comes a point where he's had it. So if we go to the king Josiah, it says about Josiah in Second Kings 23, verse 25, And unto him there was no king before him that turned to the heart with all of his heart, turned to the Lord with all of his heart, and with all of his soul, and with all of his, all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. Okay.
better than King David. David sinned, killed, actually had a number of people killed. In killing Uriah, a whole bunch of others got killed. He's got a multiple murder. He's got adultery. He's got those sins. I, I'm sure Josiah sinned, but there's nothing recording a sin about Josiah. Nothing. And he purged Israel of its sins. He was the best king probably ever in the history of the world. Now, let's just suppose for a minute. Let's suppose Donald Trump comes back in 2024. And in the meantime, between now and then, Donald Trump truly has an experience with God. He gets filled with the Spirit. The guy is prophesying. The guy is a totally new man. He turns into the best president the country has ever had. If the country doesn't repent, Donald will be saved as Josiah was saved. But the country still suffers because the next verse in 2 Kings 23, verse 26 says, Notwithstanding Josiah's righteousness, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his wrath, wherewith his anger was killed, kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked. Manasseh shed so much blood. He was so bad and he was so evil that even being followed by his grandson, Josiah, who was, it went from the worst king ever, ever had to the best king in the world, couldn't save them from judgment because they had sinned so badly and there was no repentance. If there had been repentance as a nation, there would have been punishment for the nation, but then God would move on and restore it. The repentance of the of people and individuals, there may be punishment if they knew better, really truly knew better. There may be a punishment associated with the restoration. And if they didn't before, there will be none. But whatever it is, it's the way to go, to be restored before God. And to enjoy the blessings of repentance, because when we repent, he relents, meaning he changes his mind about the judgment. But that doesn't happen at the national level unless the nation repents and is ready and prepared for some big sort of spanking. Right now, it would probably be a national debt that we cannot get out of. If everything turned tomorrow, all of a sudden there's no queer marriage, no queer adoption, no abortion, none of this hocus-pocus crapola. We still have to deal with a $35 trillion debt, which we don't in the natural have the ability to pay for, it, and we are going to pay for it in some way. There will be a punishment. But the punishment is part of the restoration. You see, we can look to our leaders, but and our leaders need to look to God. But then the leaders who are looking to God need to turn around and encourage and lead the people in a national repentance. Without it, nothing will happen. If the state of Texas leaves the United States and they outlaw abortion, queer this, queer that, tranny, everything, Texas will be blessed. New Mexico will be envious. Why are you guys blessed and we aren't? Well, then the testimony needs to come up because, because we're following the way of the Lord. Are we better than you are? No, we're just obedient. That's all. We want to be blessed as a nation. We want to be blessed as a state, as a county, as a city, as a section of a city, a borough or a burg or what have you, or our block. And if nothing else happens, I want to be blessed in my homestead and among my family members because 
I have repented, turned from the wicked way, and God will heal my land and your land. This is Rob Walder encouraging you to sit tall, America, in the saddle. Remember, you ride for the brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you, and be sure and get this message out. We'll see you next week.